Surely he was a king, but not like other kings. Él me vio. He invited me. He knows me. He died with no broken bones and with no anger on his lips. Él tiene los ojos más tiernos. Él puede ver dentro de mi alma. Él puede ver todo lo que he hecho. He doesn't ask me to serve him perfectly, but just invites me to sit at his feet and simply learn from him. He's my friend. He knows my name. This king forgave those who killed him. Who is this king? This king is Jesus. This king is Jesus. Este rey es Jesús. This king is Jesus. have been in a series called Who Is This King? And, uh, and these people that you just saw on the screen uh, were a part of a monologue that took place at Good Friday uh, of interactions that Jesus had with people while he was on this earth. And the question uh, kept coming up, who is this king? Who is this king? And the recognition uh, that we all can acknowledge today is that this king is Jesus. Well, today we celebrate one of the most important events uh, and not one of, actually the most important event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus. And all across our city right now, all across our country, really all across the world, there are churches who are putting together uh, productions and celebrations of this one event that took place so long ago. And uh, I think that uh, if you were, if you go on your social media, what you will find is that there are just these beautiful displays of celebration and production. In fact, uh, I just want to acknowledge that about ten, uh, for the first ten years that we were here uh, pastoring this church. Uh, we also did like these huge productions and, and we had stages. We had like these massive flowers on stage and, and all of these different things. And, and we would work really hard over the weekend to, to produce this amazing celebration. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we discovered uh, about five years ago was that if people did decide to come back the following week, uh, it looked nothing like the previous week. And so we set out about five years ago to uh, have our Easter service for all of you who might be visiting with us to look very similar to what you will get next week. And so what you are experiencing today, uh, there might be a few little uh, nuances about today that are a little bit different or a little bit out of, the, out of order than what it normally is, but, uh, but we wanted you to get a feel for who we are at LifeHouse. And it doesn't mean that the churches that are doing the big production are bad or any of that. We've, we've done that. We've been there. Uh, and I'm too old to do it again. So um, we do need to recognize, though, that today is different. It is different. We, we, it is Easter. And, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But we also need to acknowledge that every week that we get together is an opportunity for us to worship the risen King. My question for us this morning as we've been in this series called Who is This King? We've addressed kind of the what and the who of who Jesus is, but, but I want to answer the question why. 
Why did the Father have to send Jesus to the cross for his crucifixion, for his death, and then three days later, he rose from the grave? Why did all of that have to take place? Why was it necessary? I mean, the simple answer to that really is uh, one little word called sin. The reason why is because of your sin and mine. I'm not leaving myself out of this. It's because of our sin. That from the very beginning, that when sin entered into this world, it became very evident and clear that there had to be a sacrifice that was made in order for the forgiveness of sin. If you look throughout the Old Testament, what you'll find is these sacrifices that are made to God for the forgiveness and the repentance of people. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses of all times, we remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus is the one and the only perfect person to make this sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are been forgiven once and for all, and he was the last sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking, he pointed to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, Come to take away the sins of the world. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Even today, there are people who make sacrifices to their God. Uh, In the Muslim religion, in the Hindu religion, there are many people who sacrifice and give offerings. Uh, And even throughout the Old Testament, we saw that take place. Uh, when Kelly and I were in, uh, in Bali, Indonesia, there, it was kind of this weird revelation where we walked outside and we were walking along the streets and uh, all in front of the businesses of, of the streets, there were these little offerings that were made and they were placed in front of the business in order to gain favor from their God for, for their business. That there was this sacrifice or this offering that was given and, and I just want to I just want to say, how grateful are we that if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you are a believer in Jesus, that we no longer have to make sacrifices. That sacrifice has been made. It's one and done for us. That our sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future, all from the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, and I recognize that maybe for some of you, 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 you don't understand that. But I certainly know that there's enough people in the room that when I say that we no longer have to make sacrifices for the sins of our life. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, there's like three people that are super excited about that. I mean, I mean we can go, if you want, you can go back to sacrifices if that, it's... 
I mean, I'm going to sacrifice some meat today, but it's, it's going to be in the form of some barbecue, some steak. And so we don't have to do it anymore because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And I mention this because whether you attend church often or whether you never attend church, here in America, almost every one of us understand, or maybe not understand, but we know the facts of the Easter story. We know about the death of Jesus. We know about the resurrection, that that's what Easter is all about. But I, want, I, I would not want you to leave here today not understanding the why. The why of, of why it's so important for us today. Because without it, we can't have a relationship with this king. Prior to the resurrection, if you wanted to enter into the presence of God, if you wanted to come into his presence, there was a a curtain, scripture tells us, that separated the everyday people, the regular people like you and me, from the presence of God. And that there was one person who had to go through a lot of different circumstances and different things in his life in order to be kind of this mediator, this person, this go-between between the presence of God and the regular people. But Scripture tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, that that curtain, the veil that was there that separated the presence of God from the everyday people, it says that it was ripped in half from the top all the way down to the bottom. And now us regular everyday people can come into the presence of God whenever we want. That is good news. It's good news because we don't have to have someone else to mediate for us. We don't have to have some some person who's been done all of the ritual things in order to get to the presence of God. You can experience the presence of God today. In fact, during our worship, you probably are already experiencing the presence of God. But it does come with a choice. There is a choice that we do have to make that I've heard it said like this, that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just an event to celebrate. It is a power to be experienced. That is the resurrection. It is a power to be experienced in our life. One thing that King Jesus had in common with every other king is the desire to see his kingdom expanded. Thankfully, the way in which Jesus expands his kingdom is very different than earthly kings. Earthly kings expand their kingdom by taking of territory and the killing and plundering of people, but our king is really about bringing life into people. That the expansion of his kingdom is one soul at a time, one heart, one mind, one person that is coming into the kingdom and coming into the presence and relationship with God. If we believe the truth of the resurrection, it will be the most powerful event in our lives, but you have to open the door of acceptance. There's a a painting in London at St. Paul's Cathedral. It's called, the name of the painting is called The Light of the World. It was finished in 1853 by William Holman Hunt. At the bottom of the painting, I think we have a picture of it. You don't see the bottom of the painting there, but that is a picture of it. At the bottom of the painting is the scripture, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The scripture is a pretty famous scripture to those who have maybe found themselves in church. 
It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, we can um, just make note of the fact that there is some, there's kind of some theological issues with this verse and that painting and, and all this, because oftentimes what happens is preachers like myself or, or teachers, Bible teachers, will use that verse as an example uh, for those who are far from Jesus, those who have not accepted Christ in their life. They've not moved from unbelief to belief. They say, well, Jesus is there. He's waiting for you to respond. He's knocking on the door, and all you have to do is open it. The problem is, is that Scripture wasn't written to unbelievers. It was written to the church. It was written to the church in Laodicea, a church that would look very similar in, in status as our church here, in wealth and prosperity, that we have a church that often is found in, in not needing a whole lot of things. In the painting, we see the vines kind of going up the door that, that Jesus is, is knocking on. And, and we can also just, by the way, acknowledge the theological problems with Jesus being as white as he is in that picture. Um, <laughs> you know, Jesus was Middle Eastern. He's not Anglo. Just, just in case you didn't know that, I'm just, just think it's my duty to inform you of that. But the vines are growing up the door and to imply that for some time the church has been closed off to Jesus. And I started wondering, how does this happen? How does, how does a church, the church of Laodicea, or any church for that matter, how does it happen that they are now kind of being reprimanded for having this closed door? And I just, if we look at that church, if we look at today, I think it's very simply that there was not a lot of need of Jesus. There was not a lot of need of God in their life, that every financial decision or everything that was done in their life was really able to be done in their own ability. And so there wasn't a need to open the door. See, the church of, in this scripture, it's really as if Jesus is saying, hey, you've forgotten me. You guys mind if I, you know, can come in and, and maybe I can celebrate with you as well. I think it's just as easy for us in our current circumstances to find ourselves going through life really without a lot of need in our life. Not needing Jesus to be a part of every single aspect of our life. And so my hope for all of us, whether you find yourself outside the walls of Christianity, you find yourself kind of saying, I don't know if I believe all of this, or you find yourself as a part of the church, but maybe having a closed door that all of us would either commit or recommit our lives and our hearts and our minds to Jesus today. For other people, the door is really the door of doubt. In Mark chapter 9, it's a story, it's kind of a long story, and, and I'm only going to read part of it, but it's a story about a father who has this son who's uh, possessed by a spirit. 
And it's probably not the, the story you thought you were going to hear on Easter Sunday, but he's possessed by a spirit and um, it's causing him to, to, to seize and all, have all of these problems. And we pick up the story where the father brings the son to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, he, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, he rolled around, foaming at the mouth, And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water trying to kill him. And he says this to Jesus, he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And look at Jesus' response, he says, if you can? If you can? Like, And then he goes on, he says, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that place. And I, I do think that that's one of the ways in which our door remains closed to Jesus that we want to believe and we acknowledge and know all of what Easter represents, but we just need some help with our unbelief. Why is it so difficult for us to believe? I think one of the reasons is because we don't think God does the right thing. I mean, I know that sounds a little arrogant, and I don't know that any of us would fully admit that, but we We're not really sure we trust God with the decisions of our lives. We're not sure we really trust him with everything. We're not sure he's he's going to make the right decision for our life. The second reason is we've tried to believe and maybe it didn't work out. Things didn't go as planned, at least according to our plans. And so we've tried to believe, we've maybe even you know, really spent some time coming to church and working through all of this, but, but things don't end up happening the, same, the, the way that, in which we think that they should happen, and so we just kind of walk away from it all. The third reason is because we've listened to the doubt of others. There are plenty of doubters in this world. There are plenty of people that will tell you that you're crazy for believing in the resurrection, In John chapter 20, we are reminded of the story of a guy that was a disciple. He was one of the 12 that followed Jesus, and his name's Thomas. After the crucifixion, he became known as Doubting Thomas, just a terrible nickname, right? I mean, nobody wants to be named Doubting Thomas, but forever now he's known as Doubting Thomas. And And he doubted the resurrection because the disciples came back and they said, hey, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas's response to them is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. And then in John 20, verse 26, it says a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So how do we overcome our doubt? I think number one, we realize that Jesus will continually search for you. That your doubts won't keep Jesus away. That Thomas, in in all of his doubt, 
in believing in the resurrection. Jesus didn't wait for Thomas to show up to him. He showed up to Thomas. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And I think there's maybe somebody that just needs to hear that this morning, that as, as kind of blunt and forthright as it is, that maybe you have found yourself kind of waning in your belief, in your faith. And you just need to hear Jesus say to you, stop doubting and believe. Number two, take a step to discover who Jesus is, who Jesus really is. See, belief won't come to you, you have to go to it. In verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, he recognized who Jesus is. When William Hunt painted this picture, I'm going to throw it back up there, someone quickly pointed out that he had messed up the painting. He said, there's no, this person said, there's no handle on the door. And And William Hunt responded, yeah, there isn't a handle on the door because this door only opens on the inside. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, but he won't force his way in. You have to receive him. You have to open the door to him. In other words, William Hunt understood that permission is sacred. We give permission to come in and be a part of our life. Number three, we then take a step in our doubt by giving our life to the one who gave his life. That belief isn't faith in something, it's faith in someone. And that someone is Jesus. You say, Jesus, I open the door of my life to you. Now, there are some here this morning who, um, who it's quite possible that, uh, that you came here uh, to appease family, or maybe you're watching online, sitting with family in a living room, and, and you just, you're ready for brunch to start, and, and I get it. I understand that. But I'd be remiss to not take an opportunity to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus. I still have some things to say, and we're going to talk a little bit more just about who Jesus is to us. But I think that for maybe all of us in the room, we need to be reminded that Jesus, of just how easy it is for us to keep the door closed to Jesus. That even if you are a Christ, you would consider yourself a Christ follower, even if you attend church here on a regular basis and and are a part of this faith community, or you watch all the time online, that it's easy in moments, just as the church in Laodicea, it's easy for us to get very comfortable and complacent in our faith. In fact, the church of Laodicea, there's a reference to being lukewarm. And I wonder if maybe this is just an opportunity for us to kind of recommit to not be lukewarm anymore, to open up the door to all of what Jesus has for our life. And then there's others who walked in here and you're just hurting. Like the world that we live in today, I don't think I I need to explain this too much, but the world that we live in is tough. We're coming out of craziness in 2020 and, and now we're in the midst of economy stuff. And it's just, it doesn't seem like 
there's just a lot of divisiveness that's taking place in our world today. We find ourselves anxious, depressed, struggling to get through this life. I just want to give you some hope, and that hope is Jesus. Because Scripture tells us that that when we receive Christ, that he, uh, it tells us this in Romans, it says that when we surrender our life to him, when we acknowledge that he's going to be the authority in our life and we're now going to follow his ways for our life, when we make that decision, Romans tells us that the same Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead, which is what we celebrate today, now lives in us. So you can experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in the acknowledgement and the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life. It doesn't mean there's not going to be difficult times. You could talk to anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for many, many years, and there's been seasons of their life that have been challenging, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's the loss of a loved one. It's, it's, it's difficult. But I think every one of them, if they've been walking with the Lord for very long, would say to you that they could not have made it through without the hope of Jesus. So this is what we're going to do. Normally, at the end of my message, I would have our ushers come. They would pass a basket, and uh, we would receive our offering. And as I said at the outset of this, this is, uh, we want this to be as familiar to you next week as it is this week. Uh, but normally, this would be at the end of the message. I still got some things to say. I've probably got another 45 to an hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't. Everybody's like, sure, you changed the reservation. Um, I am going to have, in just a moment, I'm going to have our ushers come, and we are going to receive our offering. So if you brought one this morning, you can get that ready. If you're visiting with us, this is, listen, you are under no obligation to participate in the offering portion of this. That, that's really what we do as a faith community. It's part of who we are. Um, but we also are going to receive the card that I told you about earlier. And this is what I'm hoping that you'll do is that if you're here this morning or if you're watching online, you can maybe post this in the comment section or click on the digital card there, is I don't want an Easter Sunday to ever go by that I don't give you the opportunity to receive Christ in your life, to move from that place of unbelief to a place of belief. And so I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. And if, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, I'm still figuring this out, but I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. It's, I'm just going to ask you to do this one simple thing is that you would take that card. And even while I'm praying, you could just grab the card and you could write on it. At the bottom, you could say, I believe. Uh, or there's a couple boxes that one says, I, today I commit my life to Jesus uh, there's another box that says, today I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Maybe you, you've been coming for a long time. You have you've gave your life to Jesus many years ago, but, but like the picture, you've allowed the weeds to kind of grow up on the door of your life, and you need to open it back up again to him. Whatever that looks like for you, I'm just going to ask that you fill that on the card, and you simply just drop it in the, in the basket as it goes by. Or if you would prefer, you can, you can take that card, and at the end of the service, there'll be 
people available for prayer, you can take that to them, and they would love to pray with you for that. But So I'm going to pray. Ushers, go ahead and come. Father, we, for those who are here this morning that, that may not have a relationship with you, that may have not even recognized the opportunity to come into your presence and to be a part of your presence today, Lord, I pray that that this would be a defining moment in their life. That Easter this year would not just be something to celebrate, but it would be a powerful experience in their life. And Lord, we know that no matter what we've experienced in our past, no matter what guilt and sin and shame haunts us from our past, we know that at the point of acceptance of who you are and your saving grace over our life, we are no longer bound by the past. We can now be free. So Lord, for those who are here, who would acknowledge that, for those who are watching online, God, I pray that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would be present to them and that they would, that they would sense your presence today. And that this would be a defining moment for the rest of their eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. I just want to remind you again that as the baskets go by, that if that is you, if you've acknowledged, yes, I want to move from unbelief to belief. I'm putting my faith, my belief in Christ you have the Holy Spirit. It's not some weird experience or thing that, that takes place. You know, we, there's a passage in Scripture that talks about tongues of fire and stuff. But, but in salvation, you now have the Holy Spirit. But the same Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The beauty of opening the door to Christ is, and I don't think that it's any coincidence in the painting that it's at night. And that Jesus is holding a light. He's holding the lantern. That in the picture titled, The Light of the World, it's in the midst of darkness that he approaches the door. That what we, what we recognize and what we see in our life is that when we open the door to Jesus, all of the darkness of the world, all of the darkness of our past is gone. Because we know that darkness cannot exist in the midst of light. It's a great reminder that when we open to the, the door to him, he brings light into the darkness that maybe you have experienced in your life. As a child, I thought a lot about the darkness. Maybe you did too. <laughs> I thought about how scary it was, how much of it there was. I wondered whether the darkness hid the monster or whether the darkness was the monster itself. When I was a kid, I was growing up in a little town called Green, Oregon, and it was called that because... It was green. <laughs> and, and in this town, uh, or in this house that we lived in, my, my mom had this plant 
uh, that was hanging in the hallway. And it, I don't know, it, it kind of looked like an aloe vera plant, but it wasn't because it was, it was a hanging plant. It was like a plant that came over, and, but the leaves were kind of pointy on it and stuff. I, I don't remember what, what kind of plant it was, but she probably remembers uh, the plant. And, and I don't know how to describe it other than to just say this was a demonic plant. Because when the, when the lights went off, when it was dark, it was demonic. I knew there was a plant hanging there as a kid. And, and what would happen is I'd be, I'd be resting on my waterbed. And yes, I had a waterbed. And I don't know if it was the waves of the waterbed making the plant move, but when the when the, dark, when the darkness came in the hallway and my door was cracked open, all I could see was the monster that was in the hallway. I would yell out to my parents and they would come rushing in and they would flip on the lights. And Here's what I've discovered is that although I thought a lot about the darkness then, I never really thought, about, uh, I never really thought much about what darkness was or or how it behaved, or what happened when my parents came to switch the lights back on. See, in true darkness, what happens is we have no idea what's around us. We, we have no idea our surroundings, our company, that when we're living our life in the midst of darkness, even my own person becomes unknown to me for a moment. In part, that's why we find that it's scary in the dark. But for all the terror of monsters or things that might sneak up on us or whatever, when I think about it, darkness really isn't all that powerful at all. In fact, we're going we're gonna to take down the lights. And as we take the lights down, we, we recognize that even as dark as it may be in here, there's still some ambient light, isn't there? I mean, we, we can kind of feel the light or see the light from, from the windows and the doors in the back. There's a little bit of ambient light here from the, from the projectors. We, we can only get those so dark. There's a little light from my iPad here, you know, that makes me look real freaky and spooky. <laughs> the truth is, is that in the midst of darkness... That when I was a kid, there was never a struggle when the light went back on. It went from being a monster to a plant. Where the darkness fought to keep its hold on me, even just a single light doesn't falter because of the darkness around it. I'm going to invite you to turn your flashlights on. You should have received one of these. You are all waiting for that <laughs> moment. I'm not very good with the, the suspense. When the light comes on, the darkness is defeated. Jesus reminds us that he is the light that shines in the midst of darkness. The true light that has come to enlighten all people, that we can approach it, we can embrace it, we can set ourselves alight with it. And here's the thing over the years, what's taken place is 
it seems as though those who are far from Jesus, those who, who are living their life in unbelief, it's becoming more and more rare that they're stepping foot into the churches of our community, into this church, that even on Easter Sunday, it's hard for them to walk through the doors. Jesus reminds us that he is the light of the world. He, it is in him, in his light, that it goes into the midst of darkness. John 8, 12 says that he is the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Friends, it's not going to be enough to just come into this place and hope that people will experience the light of the world. We have to take the light with us. We have to take the light of the world into every aspect of our world. Into whatever life circle you find yourself in, your work, your school, your community, your neighborhoods, that there are people who are living their life in unbelief, and you have the hope of the world for them. My hope is that you will take this light, not this light, but your light that you have in Christ, and that you would be an ambassador to every person that you come into contact with, that you would be an ambassador for the king. So who is this king? I'm going to invite you to stand. Keep your lights on. We're going to keep the lights down as we begin this song and, and worship him. But I just, want to, I just want to remind you who this king is. Scripture tells us that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd that has given his life for the sheep. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Who is this king? The one in him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This king is one who loved us and washed us from our sins with his blood. He is the one who said to the sea, be still and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He is the king who rose Lazarus from the dead, and he himself rose from the dead. He said to the sick, be healed, and they were. He commanded the evil spirit to leave, and they did. He said to the rooster to crow, and it did. He told the fish to come forward, and guess what? It did. He said to the fig tree to be dried from the roots, and you know what it did? It withered away. That's who this king is. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He is the king who doesn't expect a crown, but crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercies. He is the king who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. There has never been a king like this. There has never been a love so great. There has never been a king who brings freedom in his name. Name any other king like this. You can't. He reigns in victory. He brings his grace and mercy. This king's name is Jesus.